Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Davelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. The Financial Action Task Force, or FATF, the Paris-based global money laundering and terror financing watchdog, added Turkey to its gray list last week, placing it under increased monitoring. This is not the first time Turkey was placed on the gray list, and in 2019, FATF warned that unless Ankara improves its serious shortcomings, Turkey risked being added to the gray list once again. Toby Dershowitz and Ikon Erdemir joined the Greek Current to explain why this is a significant step by FATF, look at Turkey's history with the money laundering and terror financing watchdog, and demonstrate how this designation shows yet again that NATO member Turkey continues to offer a permissive jurisdiction for terror finance, sanctions evasion, and money laundering under President Erdogan's rule. Toby Dershowitz is the Senior Vice President for Government Relations and Strategy at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Dr. Aykan Erdemir is the Senior Director of the Turkey Program at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and a former Turkish lawmaker. Toby, welcome to The Greek Current, and Aykan, welcome back. It's great to join you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Toby, I'd like to start with you. A number of our listeners may not be too familiar with the Financial Action Task Force and its role. Can you talk about its overall mission and purpose? So the Financial Action Task Force, known by its acronym FATF, is the global watchdog that sets standards for any anti-money laundering and combating the financing of terrorism. It's comprised of 36 member countries. Now, it bears keeping in mind that the goal of FATF is not to punish any country, but to ensure the integrity of the global financial system, right? So it's important to keep that in mind because given the interconnectedness of the global financial system, when one country engages in corrupt financial practices, like say money laundering, whether through what I would call normative banking systems or increasingly through things like cryptocurrencies, it may deeply impact the integrity of other countries, given that banks and other financial institutions operate globally They're like kind of a spider's web in their structure, and financial institutions certainly don't want to get entangled in a web of malign actors, right? So that's the quick upshot of what FATF is. Toby, last week we saw Turkey get added to FATF's gray list. Additionally, as we read in your recent piece, countries could also face the threat of being blacklisted. Can you explain what goes into making these decisions and what it means to be gray-listed or blacklisted? Sure. It's actually a relatively transparent process. So its member states, which are referred to as jurisdictions, use a set of standards to evaluate each other based on a set of common and mutually agreed upon criteria. Now, that's important. There's about six countries evaluated each cycle. And the mutual evaluations essentially are in-depth country reports analyzing the implementation and, frankly, effectiveness of measures countries take to combat money laundering and terrorist financing, this sort of things aimed at preventing criminal abuse of the international financial system. Now, mutual evaluations are peer reviews, and members from different countries assess peers from other countries. Now, based on the outcomes, those countries under review are presented with a set of recommendations, and most countries know that they have to work on certain controls that will help them, well, do what you know they're supposed to do, which is to decrease their vulnerability to money laundering and terror finance. Other countries are warned that if they do not improve their controls in specific and meaningful ways, they're going to be subject either to the FATF gray list or to the organization's blacklist. The gray list consists of countries that represent a much higher risk of money laundering 
and terrorism financing than those not on the gray list. But the difference is these countries have agreed to engage in a process to address these concerns in a rather formal process that are simply known as an action plan. Now, the action plan helps identify whether countries need, for example, pieces of legislation or whether they need to formally adopt UN conventions against money laundering or whether they need technical help to assist their banks put certain controls in place. Now, if a country is on a gray list, it's subject to increased monitoring because the country represents a risk to the global financial system. As you mentioned last week, FATF added three countries to the gray list, including Turkey. Likewise, several countries took their action plans seriously and were removed from the gray list. So the system really works. Finally, just a few words quickly about the FATF blacklist. The first FATF blacklist actually was issued in the year 2000, and it had 15 countries on it. But today, there are only two countries currently on the blacklist, and those countries are Iran and North Korea. Now, the blacklist is a list of countries that FATF considers non-cooperative. So the purpose of issuing the list, I would say, is twofold. One is to certainly encourage countries to not, not only adopt, but to sort of fully implement their action plan so that they meet global standards and norms. Why? Well, so that the global marketplace will have confidence that it's safe to do business with that country. And second, of course, the obvious is to warn countries that doing business with those on the blacklist poses a serious threat for the myriad of reasons that FATF spells out in rather great detail. Now, what about Iran? FATF has expressed concern about what it calls Iran's deficiencies for more than 14 years. And FATF announced that Iran would therefore be subject to what they call enhanced due diligence. That means before engaging with Iran, there is robust research to be done and to ensure that additional steps that go beyond regular due diligence are taken. FATF imposed mandatory countermeasures as well to protect those who might be doing business with Iran. And let me say something I think is noteworthy, Thanos. While FATF gave Iran several chances to be removed from the blacklist, Internal debates within Iran, actually ones that are quite public, reflected that Iran's determination to support terrorist organizations, including al-Qaeda and Hezbollah, just to name a few, continued to be supported. Some folks may not actually know that Iran has permitted al-Qaeda facilitators to operate what they call a core facilitation pipeline through Iran since at least 2009. And that means that al-Qaeda was able to move money and fighters to South Asia and Syria through Iran. If I can just add one more point, the public debate in Iran also noted that Tehran did not want to provide transparency about true account holders. So they had a piece of draft legislation purportedly aimed at addressing FATF requirements, but the draft legislation always seemed to have exceptions. You know, it would say like, we will fight terrorism, but then it proceeded to have a list of exceptions. Now, FATF does not allow exceptions or loopholes for all the obvious reasons. So whatever steps were taken clearly were not enough, and that's something that the world recognized over the course of many years. But if you're a CEO or a risk manager of a bank or an insurance company or another financial institution, it's your job to ensure you know the risks of doing business with various parties. So that's the role that FATF plays to help protect the global system. Icon, as you noted in this piece, this isn't the first time Turkey has been placed on the gray list by FATF. Can you talk about Turkey's history with FATF and how its previous gray listing in 2011 impacted the country? Turkey joined FATF in 1991, and during the first 20 years, it was quite uneventful. 
But then nine years into Erdogan's rise to power in Turkey, the country was graylisted for the very first time, namely in 2011. And our audience members will remember that this is when Turkey started developing deeper ties with the Iranian regime, which then led to Turkey's facilitation of Iran's sanctions evasion schemes at the height of U.S. sanctions in 2012 and 2013. So there was even some talk of potentially blacklisting Turkey in 2012, but Ankara avoided that. But then, 10 years later, now, as of this year, we see Turkey being put back on the gray list. And this goes parallel to the you know, backtracking on all aspects of Turkey's democracy and rule of law. Now, the consequences, as you can imagine, have been quite disastrous. First of all, being gray listed increases a country's political risk. For example, the U.S. Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Unit, FinCEN, will issue advisories urging banks and international financial institutions to employ additional due diligence and know your customer inquiries for Turkey-linked accounts as well as transactions. Now, once a country has heightened political risk, it will be difficult for its individuals and entities to bank. The country's credit default swaps will increase, making sovereign debt more expensive. There will be capital flight, as we have seen with Turkey, from both equities and bonds. And what's worse, as we have also seen with Turkey, is there will be a dramatic fall in foreign direct investment, especially from Western jurisdictions. And that is often matched with no greenfield investment in the country, which then brings together with it high unemployment and inflation. So Turkey's graylisting history has unfortunately coincided with all these downturns in the country's economic performance. And this is, I think, yet another warning message that Turkey's bad governance under Erdogan has come not only with political and social costs, but also important economic and financial costs. You talk about the bad governance from the Erdogan government. How has this government under Erdogan essentially pushed Fatah to place Turkey on its gray list? Can you walk us through some of the key examples of Ankara's behavior here? Now, in this last round, Fatah provided a number of shortcomings, asking Ankara to deal with them, including better supervision in high-risk sectors, for example, banks, gold and precious stone dealers, and real estate agents. But at the same time, it asked for you know, tackling money laundering cases as well as improving terrorist financing prosecutions. Now, all of these asks are an understatement because anyone watching Turkey closely knows that since 2019, the U.S. Treasury has designated Turkey-based or linked individuals and entities seven times for jihadist finance. And when I say jihadist finance, I'm referring to the Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, Hamas, and the IRGC, Quds Force. Namely, Turkey has become basically the jihadist financiers of the entire jihadist scene. Moreover, we have seen Erdogan really doubling down on illicit finance by issuing seven wealth amnesties since 2007. Basically, this is a no questions asked repatriation of money, cash, gold, precious stones. And this is really a welcome policy, an open door policy for terrorism finance as well. And as we speak now, there have been some German crackdown 
on informal money transfer operations within the country. And all these chain of crackdowns on what's called the Hawala networks have connections to Turkey, which is, I think, yet another sign that Turkey has become really the central node in all sorts of illicit financial transactions around the world. And I will not go into Turkey's role in the Iran sanction evasion case, because we have discussed that quite frequently on the Greek current, but that's also a reminder that Turkey has worked with some of the worst state sponsors of terrorism to facilitate their sanctions evasion and money laundering schemes. Toby, placing Turkey on the gray list inevitably means, as ICON laid out, more trouble for Turkey's economy, for its politics, and for its financial system. What impact do FATF designations have on the dealings of international financial institutions with countries that are blacklisted? I know you mentioned Iran earlier, but North Korea is also blacklisted. Or countries that are on the gray list, like Turkey. Sure, and I kind of touched on some of these, but let me summarize. You know, typically and understandably, blacklisted countries will be subject to economic sanctions and other measures by FATF members and other international organizations like the World Bank, because lending and credit institutions have their own checks on money laundering and financing of terrorism. So being placed on the gray list means that the country is one step closer to the blacklist. And in addition to the reputational risks, which are real, it could have a negative impact on foreign direct investment, on international trade, and on foreign currency inflows. Other consequences could be that they are downgraded by rating agencies or have trouble with their corresponding banking relationships. With regard to Iran, the reimposition of measures associated with the blacklist actually further isolated Iran financially, making its reintegration into the global financial system much more difficult. Look, Iran has been put to a choice, right? Either adhere to standards or risk further financial alienation. The choice is really up to the country, but once the country decides not to act, that sends a signal to the global financial community that there are great risks of doing business with that country. And regrettably, it's the people who suffer at the hands of their governments. And I would say that such is the case both with Iran and I would argue with Turkey as well. So in some, being on both the gray list and the blacklist sends what I would call, you know, flashing yellow and red messages saying, fire beware. Toby, Icon, thank you both for joining us on The Greek Current today. It was great speaking with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. In other news, Turkish President Erdogan said Wednesday that he expects to meet with President Biden on the sidelines of a climate summit in Glasgow, during which he would take up Turkey's ouster from the F-35 jet program. Turkey was expelled from the program over its purchase of Russia's advanced S-400 missile defense system. Erdogan has said that his government is seeking to recover a $1.4 billion payment it made before it was expelled from the F-35 program. He said Washington offered Ankara a package of F-16 jets and modernization kits in exchange for the payment, but the United States has said it offered no such financial plan. Meanwhile, U.S. lawmakers have urged the Biden administration not to sell F-16 fighter jets to Turkey. Finally, China's foreign minister visited Athens on Wednesday, where he met with Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis and then with Foreign Minister Nikos Dendias. Mitsotakis's office said the meeting examined the prospects of further developing the Greek-Chinese economic and investment plans following the ratification of the Piraeus stake sale. As part of the sale, Greece granted a five-year extension to the investments Costco had undertaken as part of its original purchase of a majority stake in Piraeus port. We look forward to new investment projects in the largest port of the Mediterranean, one of the largest in the world, Foreign Minister Dendias said after his meeting. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.